Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Be seated. If you didn't realize it on your own, I'm sure you've all heard by now that this week marked the one-year anniversary of the declaration of COVID-19 as a global pandemic. I don't know if congratulations or commiserations are in order for having gotten through this time. Much in our lives changed and how we lived them. Many things were missed. Celebrations, anniversaries, trips, and even church itself. For many of you, it's been a year now since you've stepped through our doors. It's been quite a year. And so lots of reflection has begun, and I'm sure will continue. The histories are already starting to be written. What happened? How did it happen? When did it happen? Where did it happen? And why did it happen? What was done too late and what was done too soon? What was too much and what was too little? What was too lax and what was too strict? There was good information and bad information and sometimes it was hard to tell the difference. People had different opinions and answers about all that. Sometimes resulting in fighting and division. People turning against one another, even friends and neighbors. Then of course, as if that weren't all enough, there was the politics of it all. What authority did the federal government really have? And what could only the states do? Different states did different things which really made sense since the virus hit differently in different places. Churches, too. Which ones closed and which ones stayed open? Which churches changed things completely and which tried to carry on as normal? And how did our synod respond? Was that helpful or not? And our own congregation, what did we do that was good and what did we do that could have been improved. The reflection has begun and will continue. But all that's not really what I want you to think about today. Instead, I want you to look at yourself. How did you do? When the news of this virus broke, when it became a pandemic, when things started locking down, when death counts started climbing, how did you respond? Was it in fear or in faith? Did you fear, love, and trust in God above all things? Or did it seem that this virus eclipsed your faith at times? Perhaps when your history is written, there will be some of both. Things that were good and things that could have been better. But it's good to look back at this past year and reflect that we can learn from it and grow. 
Luther once wrote that all the trials that you have in your life, all the struggles that you go through, all the anfektung, he called them, are all really just to prepare us for the biggest trial that any of us will ever face when we face death. Some people faced that final exam in this pandemic. For others of us, it was just a tiny quiz. But how did you do? And no grading on a curve. (laughs) Don't compare yourself to others. Take a good, honest look at yourself. Israel faced such an exam in the wilderness. They had been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. Thank goodness our pandemic didn't last that long, right? But 40 years because they failed their exam the first time they got to the promised land. They did not fear, love, and trust in God. Above all things, they were more afraid of the people who were living in the land. How big and strong they were. Never mind that God had rescued them from powerful Egypt. The ten plagues, dividing the Red Sea, destroying Pharaoh and his army and all that. Those people were different. They were big. They were strong. So God gave his people some time to learn. 40 years in the wilderness where he kept them and provided for them. Although they grumbled a lot, they always had food and water and their clothes never wore out. Now those 40 years had gone by and they were on their way back to the promised land and no surprise, they're grumbling again. So what does God do? He sends a small trial to prepare them for the big test that they're going to face. Although I'm sure it didn't seem small at the time. Fiery serpents came among them so that they would turn to the Lord and look to him for what they needed. They did, and the Lord provided a vaccine for them. Not a shot, but a bronze serpent on a pole. Look to that in faith, believing God's word and promise he put there, that he attached to that, and you will live. And it was so. And it's what he wanted them to do when they entered the promised land this time. When faced with the enemy, no matter how big and strong, When filled with doubts and fears, no matter how big and strong. Turn to him. Look to and believe his words and promises and they would live. And it was so. And according to John, the same is true for us. When we are facing our own fiery serpents or deadly viruses, when we are filled with doubts and fears, we have something to look to and believe. Something to remind us of the words and promises of God. And not only that, 
but to show us all those words and promises fulfilled. Not a bronze serpent on a pole, but his son on the cross. And not just for Israel, but for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John goes on to say that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn us and our weaknesses, doubts, and fears, but to save us, to give us that assurance that we need, to give us that confidence that we need, that no matter how big and bad our foes, our trials and troubles, pandemics or persecutions, we have what saves us from all of it. The Son of God, who in his death defeated death and rose to life to give us life. A gift that, like Israel, we do not deserve, but which he gives us in love. Not because we are so lovable, but because he is so loving. Or as the Apostle Paul put it for us today, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were following the ways of the world, when we were disobedient, when we were carrying out the desires of our minds and our flesh, when all there should have been for us is wrath from God. That's that's when the rich mercy and great love of God shone forth most brilliantly. And he sent his son for us. What else could that be called but a gift of the greatest measure? Before we cleaned ourselves up, before we turned back, before we got better, before we did anything, because we weren't capable of doing anything, God acted. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, no kidding, It is the gift of God. A gift sent once, some 2,000 years ago, but a gift still here for you. A gift for you to turn to at all times and time and time again in big trials and little trials. When you doubt God's care, to remember your baptism. And that that's where God gave you the gift of sonship and made you his own. He will provide. And when your doubts and unbelief seem too much, to hear again the gospel and his absolution, where God takes your sins away and directs your eyes and your faith to the cross again, that nothing you do or can do will be bigger than that. And when your weaknesses and fears seem overwhelming, His supper is here to feed you, our own manna in the wilderness, to strengthen us with his forgiveness and life and give us that health of soul that we need. Such rich mercy and great love here for us. Immeasurable riches of his grace. Which means that in a world that considers the church in all sorts of different ways. The church really is the most essential business of all, if she is true to herself. 
For only the church has and can provide what we really need. The life that we need through these gifts that Jesus has here for us. Maybe one of the good things that will come out of this year of closures is for churches to reflect and take stock of that and refocus once again. That it is not for coffee shops, entertainment, or activities that they exist, if she is true to herself, but to give the gifts of God, the forgiveness, life, and salvation that we and all the world so desperately need. And having received those gifts ourselves, Paul says, then to walk in them, to do those good works God has prepared for us to do, which means to give to others the rich mercy and great love we have received. Now what that will look like for you, what that will be for you depends on your calling in life. But one thing I think for all of us during this past year of pandemic, one of the good works that we did was to show people how to live without fear. That as big and bad as this virus was and is or seemed to be, we have the one who is greater the one who can rescue us from this virus, or if he decides to take us from this life to his life because of this virus. Either way, we're in the hands of him who is rich in mercy and great in love. Now, that doesn't mean throwing all caution to the wind, not taking precautions, or not following our government's requirements and recommendations. As I said so often at the beginning of all this, be safe, be smart, be careful, but do not fear. It means knowing that whatever comes, we're good, we're safe in our Savior's hands. It means that not what we think or do or what the government tells us is the ultimate truth or the end-all be-all but Christ and his word. It means having a confidence that what God says and promises, he will do. So we can live in that confidence, that faith. This pandemic exposed a lack of that faith in many people, maybe even in us sometimes. So if you see that in your reflection, repent. And rejoice that your Savior does not hold it against you. Not one little bit. He instead bids you come and receive his forgiveness and strength and care and food. And leave now better prepared for the battles still to come. For come, they will. So that when the biggest of all comes, when you are faced with the time of your death, you will be ready, looking to the cross in full confidence and faith that he who did that for you, he who promises life, 
will provide. So what a wonderful opportunity we now have as we are coming out of this pandemic now to reflect and once again fix our eyes on Jesus. For as we sang in the intro at earlier, did you notice how apt those words were? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, though a deadly virus arise, yet I will be confident. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. He has, and he will. For his mercy is rich and his love is great. And not just for the world, but for you. Look to him. Hear him. Receive him. And you shall live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.